Yo, 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 welcome to another episode of the Round Ball Ramble Podcast. I'm your host, Corbin Ford. You can follow me on Twitter at CorbinMBA. This is a Sports Ethos presentation, so check out Sports Ethos as always on Twitter at Sports Ethos online, sportsethos.com. Today, I'm joined by a good friend, a frequent podcast collaborator, um, basketball analyst, author, uh, you name it in the basketball space, he's probably done it. Um, you can find him on Twitter at RVL Hoops, all one word, uh, or find him at X now, you know, whatever. Um, it is Richard Liu. Richard. How are you doing, my friend? Doing great. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Of course. Of course. Always good to have you on. Getting Richard on the show, y'all, is like a sign that basketball is coming back. Speaking of that, like I said, Ramble Ramble is coming back. We've taken a little bit of a hiatus off. Just life, you know, just life's been going on. But with the season starting, we're going to be cranking up. In fact, once October goes, we'll be going basically every day. So stay tuned for that. Um, you'll have Richard on a lot more. We're hopefully going to do our um, well, we started a little bit last year with our Rebuilding Team series. We have some fun things planned in the future. But for now, one I've reached on to talk about just recent Team USA, and we're going to talk about that first. But I do want to bring out, listen, NBA training camp, less than five weeks at this point, or less than six weeks at this point. Where are we at right now? Yeah, I'd say we're four weeks away, three weeks away. Yeah, that's something like right. that. Yeah. yeah, about three weeks away. So less than three weeks away. Um. I mentioned that Richard Lewis is an author, uh, and he has written yet another book to add to his collection of NBA uh, draft almanacs and NBA preview almanacs. And so now the new 2023-2024 NBA preview almanac has dropped. It is really the only one of its kind out in the basketball book space in terms of analysis on every team, uh, previewing everything that's gone on uh, in terms of additions and subtractions, as well as the new feature I like uh, involving uh like a season preview kind of summary season preview survey at talking about whether a team is contending rebuilding all of that so we're gonna talk about that more but i definitely wanted to shout out like check that out you can find that on amazon i'll have the link in the podcast description as well uh but before we go directly into that book richard which i want to spend a good bit of it on um i do want to talk to you about team usa and really get your thoughts from a basketball analysis um, development perspective uh team usa basketball team went out there they came they saw they did not conquer. Um, they did not meddle at all. Uh, and it was pretty underwhelming. I think that you had some good play from guys like Anthony Edwards, who really stepped up. Uh, I think Mikel Bridges did okay, but you also had guys that didn't do very well. Brandon Ingram was horrific there. Uh, so was the guy who didn't grab a rebound, but I'm just kidding. Uh, that was Jerry Jackson Jr., who just could not rebound. Like, it was a very interesting um Team USA tournament, and I don't know how I feel other than to say it was disappointing. And so now I'm going to leave it to you. What do you think about it? What is your What are your thoughts about Team USA and how they went? Yeah, it's always it's always kind of interesting with these um, these FIBA World Cups, and you know it's 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 see it's nor- largely seen you know in um, among like NBA players and you know as sort of a secondary tournament to the Olympics. So you kind of get like a little bit of the kind of B squad and, and, but it does kind of give you some insights as to like, okay, some of the issues that are kind of um, plaguing kind of USA basketball where one, you know, it's kind of been going on, you know, since like really like 
you know, after like around like, you know, when the second, you know, when the 96 Olympic team came in, like, and, and the Olympics that came after it, where we've been sort of just throwing teams together. We get sort of, you know, throwing teams, coaching staffs together. And so you, you get, Oh, you get like a team with a lot of talent, like man for man, the U S squad is probably more talented than every country that they, every country that was in the tournament, but you know, just, but you know, in terms of just how fast, you know, how you play the game where you need, you know, chemistry, you need some kind of cohesive system to actually, you know, to, 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 to maximize all your talent, you have to, you know, you have to have some kind of unifying structure and then you just don't have that where you have, a bunch of guys who are kind of used to playing a certain way in the NBA. And then for whatever it is, you know, three, four weeks, some of them have to change style. Some of them don't. So then you get, yeah, where Brandon Ingram, for example, he's used to having the ball in his hands, but then you put him with Steve Kerr, who is really one of the only one or two coaches that run like a pure motion offense where, they really don't want someone kind of stopping the ball all the time. So naturally there's a little bit of conflict and yeah, you're yeah. Like a guy like Brandon Ingram is going to struggle. Jaron Jackson, another one of these kind of guys that kind of is with, you know, he's, you know, again, he won defensive player of the year in the NBA, but you know, Memphis plays two bigs. They like to, you know, aggressively protect the paint but that's not how Steve Kerr has ever coached with the Warriors, where he likes to switch everything, aggressively defend the three-point line. And so if you're telling Jaron Jackson to kind of to, to downshift, play center, also and also, you know, switch out on switch out on perimeter guys, you're going to get defensive breakdowns. And so it's something that over time, I think that USA basketball has to kind of find a way to kind of figure out, find some kind of, some kind of just overarching style where they can actually just make the team building process a little, a little better. Cause then it, then you come it down into, in terms of, in terms of the fact that the A squad is getting older. There was talk, you know, LeBron wanted to come back to play in the Olympics in 2024, get Steph, get, Kevin Durant and Anthony Davis. But then if you look at their ages, you know, like LeBron is getting close to 40 Steph, Kevin Durant, they're in their mid thirties. And so this whole idea that if you just kind of just get all the stars back, it might be a temporary fix for 2024. But then if you look 2028, 2032, and you're looking at sort of the younger generation, you, if you reach back and try to get all the best players in the uh, best players, it might not be there because the world is producing elite players that they're, they're producing elite players too. And I mean, if you look at yeah, it, like from the same level, the last, I mean, the last five MVPs were won by three, by three guys who are not from the United States. You know? hmm. So, and then, you know, so that's going to, so that's a issue that, is going to have to be addressed where they're going to, they're, they're, they have to find a way to sort of maximize and build an actual team rather than just kind of, kind of try to throw talent at the wall and see what sticks. And so. Agreed. 
Yeah, it's one of those things, like you said, the quality of the competition has improved, right? And you mentioned, you know, back in the 90s, like basketball was different. You know, you did have the best talent in the USA. And you had, of course, you know, Oscar Schmidt and others, you know, Dross and Petrovic, you know, all these other great talents in other countries. But like in terms of like centralized basketball talent, I don't think it's controversial to say that was coming from the USA, right? Um, but now you mentioned the last three MVPs, you know, all of them being from other parts of the world. The, the globalization of the game is an amazing thing, but it also makes it where the USA comes out and it's not just a given that they are going to be the best team, you know? Um, and not only is it whether it's the town on the floor, but also like styles make fights. And that leads to my next question to you, Richard. What do you think was the biggest weakness of this Team USA uh, squad? Because they did have some matchups. Uh, Germany was one. Um, there was a few that they just didn't seem to be able to play well against for the stretches. Yeah, I think like one of the issues that just in overall in terms of just the U.S. and developing players is a lot of it is there's not a lot of diversification in terms of the skill sets of, of, of players, especially like star players where, where our star players pretty much only know how to be star players, where if they are on their own team, the whole offense kind of runs through them. And, and, you know, they put up, they put up, you know, big scoring numbers and these things like that. But then, but then if they have to be asked to, you know, kind of, be play in secondary roles or they got to uh, lean more on the defensive end. It's not quite, you know, they, they, they don't have the well-rounded skill sets to necessarily do. So in terms of team construction, you get a lot, you get a little bit of overlap where, you know, there's, you know, there's Jalen Brunson, Anthony Edwards, and then even guys that they left off where like, you know, like Trey young kind of overlaps with, some of the guys that are more scoring guards, you know, you have, you know, you have, and, you know, and so you get guys that you get too many guys for sort of, sort of those, you know, higher end roles and you just don't have enough people to sort of do dirty work. So then you look at the losses where teams were shooting 50% from the field that were knocking down 40% or 40% or high 30% of their threes yeah, the U.S. was getting out rebounded. So then, yeah, you have so you get some deficiencies in the defensive department, and yeah, in, in some of those you know those dirty work kind of areas where you don't sort of have that, you don't have anyone to really fill those roles, um, unless you really kind of dig deep, unless you really kind of take the effort to kind of dig deep into the league and go, okay, this is the kind of guy we need, and. Even like in terms of it's a, the some you know some people brought up yeah you know, maybe they should have gone two bigs with Walker Kessler and Jaron Jackson but then you kind of get the issue with a lot of the guys that specialize in defense in like rim protection and rebounding they tend mm. to be drop cover drop cover bigs so you're just again the, you know these the offenses overseas shot. you're they they run a lot of action to you know get, to generate three pointers so you're trading off rim protection and all that for for giving up the shots on the outside so you have so there's a little bit of just not having sort of a diverse enough roster makeup to sort of to match up with different teams so in that regard you know in in how they construct 2024 they may have to you know again find some specialized role players to to kind of 
fill in some of the gaps that they were missing this year. I mean, if you're looking at one guy that probably stands out as a guy that it wouldn't sound like he would make an Olympic team, but, you know, in terms of just what, you know, if you just know that, you know, Steve Kerr is going to be the coach and, and they're kind of missing some, they're missing defense and rebounding. Kevon Looney just, it just kind of jumps out at, as the kind of guy who would fit where, you know, he, yeah, again, play, you know, high energy guy, Mm-hmm. can can block shots rebounds but he also is a guy who he can handle himself on a switch mm-hmm. which you know in terms of the style of defense they like to play you know is kind of like is another guy they could you know kind of throw into a rotation if you know assuming you know maybe they get you know bam out of bio or someone like that i could see you know, another kind of another kind of dark horse in that kind of regard i could see um you know, someone like Nick Claxton might make sense because he kind of has yeah. similar skill set, but you know, longer. I worry about his know. girth, though. Like, yeah, you know, there's. Yeah, it would be like... a little bit of a specialized thing where it's if mm-hmm. it's you know, if he's up against somebody who's you know, if the other team doesn't have like a true like post up guy, like yeah, I wouldn't throw him up. You know, against, or yeah, like certain. Or yeah, mean. like yeah, but you know, if you're you know maybe against this German squad where you know, Movagner. again. Mo Wagner, you know, Daniel Tice, you know, it's like they 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 can they move yeah. out, you know, so they play a little more out on the perimeter a bit. So you might need mm-hmm. somebody to switch there. That's a that's a guy. So yeah, so that's that I mean, yeah, so yeah, in terms of just getting guys who can kind of inter interchange, play different sort of play different sort of roles, in addition to just getting, you know, in bringing in as much talent as you have, you know, that's kind of, you know kind of one of those things that that this next construction of team usa they have to sort of consider so consider because yeah right now if you look yeah even if you look at you know american-born players under the age of 30 you know you're you're really kind of looking you know you're you know maybe it's you know jason tatum you know you're you know devin booker but you're you know good players but they're not the you know obvious sort of top five guys that we're used to having so mm-hmm. then, you know, finding the right complements for these sort of guys is going to be more important moving forward. And so there are going to be some kind of systemic issues that are going to have to come into play where they might have to consider just somebody like finding someone who's, you know, who has the availability to make this more of their full time job, more so than getting and getting someone like Steve Kerr, where his, you know, again, Steve Kerr or any NBA coach where it's coaching in the NBA is hard enough. Now you, you know, you add the Olympics on top of it, you know, you can't really devote your attention to both jobs. So this was kind of one of the things, at least in, they kind of got right in around, you know, that 2008, 2012, where coach, you know, and even 20, you know, 2008, 2012, 2016, where this was Coach K's job, where this was a function of Coach K's job. And, you know, he didn't have as demanding a schedule in college as, you know, an NBA coach has. So, yeah, maybe finding someone like, you know, someone like Jay Wright comes to mind where he's technically not coaching anywhere, but, you know, accomplished enough, you know, has play you know at least in his latter years with Villanova when they were winning played a style mm-hmm. that kind of mimicked the NBA especially now especially now that a lot of his players are yeah they were on this last they're on this last on the team. Mix. 
Yeah, they're on the Knicks. They were on this and last. They're all on this, this last. Yeah, the last, last squad, right? Team. So it's like, yeah. So there, there could be a fit there. You know, there could be a fit there where, if he's the, you know, if he concentrates his efforts on coaching Team USA, you add some of these. You add, you know, some of these guys like Spo and Ty Lue and these guys as assistants to kind of beef up kind of the, you know, the brain power on the staff. You know, then you you get a little bit of a better job, you know, kind of scouting and kind of team building and kind of, and those kind and those things to, to really kind of maximize kind of the, the talent pool, you know, at least maximize like the, the quality of play on, you know, in these kind of tournaments. No, that makes a lot of sense for sure. And I guess I have one more question regarding, um, of course, team USA, how do you think it looks you know, for the Olympics coming up, you know, where you do have uh, LeBron James, who's hinted at the interest of a return, maybe Kevin Durant, a Steph Curry. I mean, these guys are higher caliber players. Do you still, I mean, obviously they're higher caliber players over the players that we're currently representing in FIBA, FIBA, right? With that being said, you still probably need those role players. I mean, JaVale McGee has been on a team, but like, what do you think the dynamic, like, let's say you get a few of those stars, obviously, do you take these existing players, some of which I doubt will make the official Olympic squad, but if you put those players who had more of a bigger role in this uh, tournament into more specialized roles and let the stars do the leading, do you think U.S. is back to its, you know, Olympic supremacy when they bring out the big dogs? I think I think there's enough talent where they could, but it would be it would be harder because, again, you are still throwing a lot of guys into the mix kind of who – who, you throw in a, a lot of the guys into the mix that are kind of playing together for like maybe the first, you know, they, they don't play together very often. I mean, there is talk that, you know, with Joel Embiid's citizenship that, you know, he could play for either the U.S. or France. So a lot of, you know, some of the, the concerns about a lack of size would be, you know, kind of would would be alleviated if, you know, Embiid plays in. But then, yeah, and then some of this is just going to come down to like which guys are going to be healthy at the end, you know, how far they go in the playoffs. And so there are a lot of moving pieces. So having like a few, at least like maybe a few of the guys on this past team for just continuity and chemistry sake, where, where at least you have a base of people who have some familiarity and playing together. And then you just sort of add, add some of the big guns as, as you go. So then you're not just kind of trying to figure all this out in like a two or three week span. Cause we've seen in, in the NBA, when these super teams come together, a lot of them often stumble within the first, they kind of stumble out of the gates in the first couple of weeks, just cause they're trying to, there's just, there's just little kind of dynamic things that they're kind of sorting out. Like who's, how how does the pecking order work? Okay, where do I fit in in this offense? And so if you're you're still kind of working that out and in a major tournament, because yeah, the Olympics is even a shorter turnaround than this one, where it's just you just go round robin right into a knockout stage. And so if you kind of don't have your you slip up in terms of chemistry, you know, kind of in that knockout knockout range, you know, you can you know really damaging. I mean, even the last olympics yeah even when they had kevin durant and devin booker and tatum they lost their first you know they lost to france the first game so 
even though, yeah, it was, you know, like a round robin play game, but they did lose, even, you know, they lost a game before, you know, before they, you know, kind of picked things up and, you know, eventually pulled it out. So, but if you're kind of doing this with, you know, older squad, you know, you know, older squad, a lot of new faces, and then you have everybody else is kind of, you know, building on whatever, you know, like, yeah, you have, they're building on previous years of chemistry, you know, even if you look, you know, Canada's made strides with, you know, having Shea and RJ Barrett, you know, Dylan Brooks came out of mm. nowhere and dropped 30, 39. Didn't he? And then, what yeah, and then that's the, the, we had mm-hmm. Jamal Murray. So, 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 and then, you know, Germany has consistently sort of been, you know, kind of building on their chemistry. And then you strong have you know, continuity. Strong continuity. And then, you know, France is, France, you know, Wimbin, you know, Wimby, getting Wimbin yeah. Yama, possibly Joel Embiid. Yeah. So, yeah. That's wild. So, You're right. I mean, that would the, be an inside out matchup nightmare. Yeah. So, that's, I mean, so you get teams that are sort of on the come up, and then you have, the u.s squad it was even if you kind of say big guns and they're it's a lot of guys in their deep 30s yeah and, it, it reminds yeah, me so, of the 92 olympic team in the sense of like these are like all-time legends that are great but like all these guys are older right i mean i guess you can't say 92 olympic. let me let me not jump the gun richard i think yeah, I'm a little I too mean, crazy saying yeah it's a little yeah Jordan. but i mean if you look yeah. at like <laughs> the term like the advantage that the 92 team had over I mean, I, I actually looked this up where you looked at mm-hmm. from an experience factor over like the rest of the Olympic competition to put it in perspective. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they had like they had 11 Hall of, yeah, you know, 11, you know, guys, 11 guy, the 11 NBA players, they all made all star teams. If you look at the teams from the 11 countries that were there, there were 11 guys that had played like played one NBA game prior to that, those Olympics. And then if you break down those 11, three of them, you could probably say were good NBA players at the time where, yeah, Detlef Schrempf was coming off. Detlef Schrempf was coming off six man of the year. Mm-hmm. Drazen Petrovic was, you know, just about, you know, it was first year starting. It was just about to kind of hit the all-star team. And then Sarunas yeah. Marshallonis was, was you know, one NBA of the better career. six men was, yeah. One of the better six men in the league for the war for, for the warriors. But you know, even though Tony Kukoc was in it, Dino Raja was in it. They hadn't stepped foot in the NBA. So it's basically largely, you know, like the dream team against a lot of guys who are, who are rookies. Mm-hmm. So of course, you know, you kind of, yeah, you get that squad and they're going to pound them by 40 and 50 points. Whereas the level of competition has the level of competition and the, and the just knowledge, you know, the, the, the ability of other countries to, you know, plot, you know, to, applied basketball knowledge has increased, you know, in 30 years. So kind of just relying on talent might, you know, it, it could be enough to, you know, there's enough talent in this country to, you know, to pull it out, but long-term it's not, this is pr- not, a, it's not really an, it's, it might not be an effective strategy considering that, yeah, yeah, the world's catching up and there is some, doubt over whether or not you know we are we in the united states in terms of development are maximizing you know the players we have because there is you know kind of yeah yeah as i said you know some at time you know our 
our you know, stars aren't as well rounded as they as maybe they were in past in past eras and yeah, a lot a little bit of overlap in terms of skill set. So if you put all these guys together, you get style clashes and chemistry break, you know, some chemistry issues that might, you know, kind of bite kind of you know, kind of come to bite the team kind of, you know, in a future kind of tournament. So yeah, it's gonna be kind of interesting to see how, you know, how they can, what they do to kind of construct this team and try to move it forward so they can so they don't kind of so so yeah so some you know a lot you know a loss like this doesn't you know happen you know in a future olympics so yeah that's true i guess i mean you kind of gave a perfect synopsis in my mind on this but anything else you want to say to kind of cap off you know just the team usa retrospective if you will yeah i think like the way I guess you know, there was a, I think I saw a tweet from Trey Kirby about the cycle of Olympic basketball where it's like you know about international basketball in the US where it's yeah you don't take the they don't take FIBA these FIBA World Cup seriously then you know they fail the medal then they bring out the A squad and then they win in the Olympics and then they don't take this seriously and then it kind of cycles that way I don't know how long this cycle can you you can really keep going and sustaining this cuz yeah, at some point, yeah, like at some point, the well of you know, in terms of the well of talent isn't going to the, the talent gap isn't going to be so high anymore mm-hmm. in favor of the U.S. Where you know the rest of the world just keeps keeps developing talent and and not and mainly like when they develop talent, you know, for the develop young talent, it is almost it it initially is to it is for the purposes of international competition and then whatever, mm-hmm. you know, these guys do in the NBA is like, you know, kind of a, is, is second, you know, it's like kind of a cherry on top. You know, if they get, you know, if they have an elite player, cool, but you know, if, you know, but largely their focus is, yeah, they want to, they want to medal in these things. They want to, they want, they want to compete and they kind of compete and beat, beat the U S. And so if they're working, they, they constantly are working to this goal and, kind of the US is a little bit asleep at the wheel in terms of in terms of you know kind of these international competitions these kind these kind of two divert you know the, the, at some point it's going to come to a head and you know we're yeah you know, like the the US is going to fall short if they don't you know kind of start taking 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 these tournaments and their sort of developmental model kind of seriously. So it is something at least now, you know, it'll be interesting to see if it ever gets to kind of a breaking point where, yeah, like the rest of the, there, there may be a day where the rest of the world sort of passes the U S in these, in these tournaments, even though we do have, you know, all stars and we continue to have, we have all stars and all NBA players playing in these things. So, yeah. Would you consider this a wake-up call, or is uh, that being maybe a, a, a touch dramatic? Um, I would go kind of my, mild in terms of yeah. I guess like it's because we've gotten so we've we've gotten kind of a lot of these, and at this juncture where I mean in 2019, like this, you know, they didn't, you know, in the 2019 World Cup team finished worse than this one, and they had. Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, and 
yeah, and the, yeah, and Donovan Mitchell on that team, and so, and but then you know they yeah then you know in Tokyo they win they won gold, and then yeah there were there were some issues yeah so I think it's like yeah I, I guess it always comes back to if this you know if they don't if this, these issues come up in the act in in an Olympics where you know at least our elite players care more yeah then you know then that will be kind of there then there'll be kind of need there'll be a need for a major shakeup in terms of USA you know in terms of USA basketball needing to kind of oh you know kind of overhaul their current process and how they pick teams and pick teams for these sort of things yeah no you're right I think it's interesting I'm glad that we had this discussion. I got to give you credit for even bringing it up as a, as a topic to talk about because I was like, yeah, you know, wasn't very good. The teams weren't like talent wise, they weren't super great. The matchup didn't work. End of story. But there was a lot more to talk about in terms of this unit, why they succeeded, or in this case, why they failed, and what we can glean from that moving forward. So definitely appreciate you taking the time to talk about that, Richard, for sure. No problem. Yeah. Yeah. Now, with that being said, I, I hate to say we have something even better to talk about than that, but we do. Um, I love basketball, I love books. Richard, you're my guy because you somehow give me the best of both worlds with a basketball book. You give out, you've been putting out two every year for the past, what, seven, eight years? Yeah, the first since was the 2017 draft, Dominic? 2017 draft, and then I started doing the preview like 2018. Yeah, there you so, go. Yeah, so, so you yeah, had a so. book, yeah. You've had a book going on seven years now. Uh, well, a book going on seven years for sure, and then really twice a year, two books a year. For like the past five and a half, right? Yeah. That's so so there you go with that. Like that's that 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 right there is something I greatly appreciate because whoo, I, I just I love being able to one, basketball is just one of those things we all love. It's called round ball ramble for a reason. But to be able to read a book that will help me either pick up on the draft, pick up on the new season. Yes, there's a lot of great content on the websites all over, great talented you know, authors in blogs and you have a blog yourself and you have additional content that goes there. Some of which I could also get in the book, but I digress. But in this case, you know, you have what I call the stars of the shows just before the draft, you get the NBA draft preview almanac that goes into the off season kind of previews of all of these, all 30 NBA teams, as well as a full detailed draft scouting report for all the players entering the current draft. And then just before the season, you drop the NBA preview almanac, which is a recap of the offseason of these teams and a preview on what they will like moving forward, as well as player by player projections for literally each player on the NBA roster. Um, and we have our latest one here now. We have the 2023-2024 NBA draft or NBA preview almanac. And Richard, I want you to take a minute to explain for those who are uninitiated and didn't listen to my spiel here what your books are about generally or more specifically what your preview almanac is about. Yeah, so the preview almanac really kind of it. Yeah, it, it it's a it's a guide to help you kind of kind of get ready for the season. So they're um, project. So so in that there's a, they're kind of little summaries on kind of what kind of teams did in the off season, who they who who was subtracted, who was added, and then kind of some little quick summary, quick you know kind of summary about you know how how they might be expected to how they might be expected to do are they rebuilding contending maybe who who on the roster could you know break out and you know in general how they're going to perform and then the, and then there are individual sort of player pages that 
kind of that display kind of a projection of what what their stats might look like for the upcoming season and then also has a um, little bit of a scouting report to kind of tell tell you where where their skills are what their skills are and kind of where they're at kind of heading into this season so then you have kind of an idea of kind of of what the team's going to look like in general but also kind of break down the players on the roster and sort of um, what they do, uh, what they do, how they might fit in. And so, so, and where they kind of fall in a kind of a rotation. So that's, so then, it, so then as you're watching games throughout the season, you can kind of get a sense of, you know, who, yeah, what, what's going to happen, what's going to happen and, and who's, you know, who, who everyone is in the league. And so who, league, so you have all that information handy. So that's kind. Of, so that's more or less what the preview almanac does. Yeah, I love that. I also love how you put together again, essentially scouting reports on each player. You know, I was looking through um, the Kings earlier today, and one of my favorite players to watch is my guy Malik Monk. And so you have just giving a synopsis here, like their ideal, you know, stats. Whether it goes from like height, weight, you know, their cap number, how many years they have left. And then you have this really cool feature in addition to the baseline basic stats and advanced metrics for the player. You have two things I like. One is your similarity score, which I'd like you to talk about more in a minute here, where you have players at that age that share statistically, you know, the same or similar score to the player here. So for Malik Monk, um, it's funny. Another guy I liked back in the day, his similarity score, the number one is Brandon Knight, which Love me, Brandon Knight, kind of slim combo guard. You know, injuries really messed him up, but I really thought he was going to be uh, not a star, but a really, really, really good player um, in the NBA. And you also have guys like Kendrick Nunn and Malik Beasley, and on the very far end, Bradley Beal, but like the very far end, like they're not that similar at all, but in the mindset of like the type of player. Um, and then what I also like is you give a, a series of bullet points. Um, I'd say it's about 10 bullet points and half for offensive and half for defensive. So like for Malik Monk, you say, you know, league average career, three-point shooter, percentages vary a bit year from year. Great spot shooter, makes pull-up threes on pick and rolls, less effective in shooting off screens. All of these different, like, bullet points to make the scouting report. I, I want to ask you first just how you, you're able to assemble all this data on each of these players because it happens for every player for all 30 teams all throughout the book. And then I'd like you to talk about your similarity score and just how that comes into play as well. Yeah, so a lot of this, you know, in terms of just um, gathering data for um, these scouting reports, it's also you know, a lot of it, you know, it's a combination of just kind of of looking, at, you know, just because of my background, just, you know, doing sort of analytics. And so trying to, like, break this down in a way that, you know, kind of is easily understandable. So a lot of this is, you know, some of this is looking at, like, a basketball reference, you know, stat page, you know, synergy kind of synergy kind of situational kind of breakdowns and and then just you know in terms and then you know also just like just keeping in mind i guess it uh, um a lot of the you know kind of just a lot of the a lot of notes from you know games i watched through the year throughout the year so then it's so it's kind of it's looking at kind of just every kind of in constructing the scouting report proportion every you know any any useful piece of information and just kind of breaking that down in a language that's kind of simple and understandable. So then you get a good sense of like what, what guys can, what, what, what guys skills are and what they, you know, and, and what their, what their strengths, weaknesses are in, 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 on both sides of the ball. So that's more or less how that works. And then similarity scores, it's based on kind of a, 
it's really the backbone of, of the projection system I use to kind of create kind of projections for individual players and then teams as I put, you know, the projections from players and into, you know, the team where basically you just take anyone, you take anyone's kind of stat line or in this, in my case, it's kind of a weighted three year kind of sample. So then, you know, so to kind of give more, you know, to give a sense of kind of where that player has been sort in its, in his most kind of recent kind of period. So, you take kind of a, a general kind of stat line, compare it against a database of just pretty much every player from the modern era. And so based on body types and different tendencies, it kind of, it just, it spits out kind of what, what skill, what they're, you know, who's who, which players their stats are most similar to. So that's kind of where those comp lists come in and it's, you know, we're general, you know, for for most of the league you're going to get you know you you're you're going to see the types as you know you're going to see types as you know kind of them comparing to similar type where a spot up shooter will compare to other spot up shooters from the past or you know if you get somebody like you know Seth Curry who's kind of a undersized kind of shooting specialist you'll see kind of other guys of that skill set so you know skill set sort of pop up but then you get some guys who just have very unique styles, unique body types. You get sort of you 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 may not get one to one matches, but you kind of get you know maybe like there are pieces of this person here, there are pieces of another person, and you know, you, but you know in but it all can kind of help to get a sense of like what their what their stats are going to might look what their their advanced their their stats are going to look like coming into the season. Are they going to hold steady? Are they going to improve? Maybe you know if it's an older player, they might be in decline. So this is so this is information you can get from this book. I love the way you broke that down. That makes perfect sense in terms of explaining that. So no, I I really appreciate that. I, I again, there's so much about this book. As you can tell, I'm a fan. And sometimes I'm just like, so great. Check it out. Which folks, it's so great. Check it out. But also want to ask you, Richard, um, what other features would you like to share about this book? How it differs from your draft almanac is probably one, although the biggest difference is your draft almanac focuses on the offseason previewing and, of course, the draft. But are there any of the features that you're excited to share or that you think people should know um, about the NBA uh, preview almanac? Yeah, I mean, this one just, I mean, in terms of just refined how just kind of completed as I know, like, there's a there there you know I, I, yeah as kind of alluded to earlier there's this time there's a little more analysis at at least at the team level just to kind of get kind of a some analysis on how how teams might perform in terms of you know in how how they might perform not just kind of just kind of at the individual level where you know it's like yeah what we what we might expect coming into the year maybe there might be some changes and and those kind of things. So that's in there. I also kind of revamped a little bit of the, I created, you know, like in, in previous versions, I created sort of defensive metrics to measure the difficulty of matchups and kind of, and performance on on-ball defense. So this one, a little more organization to it this time around. So I grouped it, you know, more grouped it kind of by position. So then you can kind of see in terms of, you can get a better sense of what, players roles are on the defensive end so they kind of more like 
point of attack defenders versus, you know, stop, you know, wing stoppers versus kind of roaming kind of help, help guys or, you know, kind of, or just, you know, kind of straight up rim protectors. So you can kind of get a, a, a little bit more of a better sense of kind of, of what is going on on the defensive side of the ball in terms of how certain teams might kind of utilize specific guys on the, on, on this side of the ball that usually kind of doesn't get covered very covered as often as, you know, the offensive side does. So getting a sense of, you know, just some guy, you know, if you're ever wondering, yeah, why does Tory Craig play so much, you know, this, you know, this, you know, kind of these kind of metrics might help to kind of, get a sense of kind of better sense of kind of who he is because of, you know, kind of the type of matchups he, you know, kind of guys like this kind of can take on. So yeah. And this, you know, kind of seeing somebody like even, you know, kind of evaluating someone like Herb Jones where Mm -hmm. you kind of, you know, you get a, you get, you have an idea when you're watching him that he's you know a good defender. But then if you kind of see like the fact that, you know, he, he took on some of the toughest matchups in the league, like on a consistent basis, you know, we're like, okay, maybe he's, he might actually be underrated, you know, in terms of his defensive value where he might not be getting enough credit for the things he's doing. So, mm-hmm. yeah. That makes sense. You know, I get that. I like that you showcase that too, because you look at a guy like Herb Jones and it's like, Hey, offensively, not super great. Right. The shootings kind of been spotty, like all the things. Right. But then defensively, you know, he's a defensive minded player, but do you know the value that he brings defensively? Like you said, the point of attack defense, the, the tougher matchups. So your book does do a great job of really highlighting those. So as you, the reader can look and go, okay, yeah, he's a defender, but do you realize he's defending, you know, a high end matchup 48% of the time or 55% of the time. I'm literally throwing out numbers. These are not actual statistics from the book. Yeah, that's like, funny. yeah, like it gives you some more context that will aid you as a viewer. And I definitely appreciate that as well. Um, I, I do have a question because uh, you the similarity school is so, score is so cool, but I do find that there's certain players that it's kind of, it looks difficult to maybe find a score for whether they played. I've been reading your books for years. So I know as I read, um, let's say two years ago, Vince Carter, very hard to find a similarity score for a wing player, you know, 42, you know, there just wasn't enough players that matched either of those criteria to really get a sample size for. Um, I see another player I'd like to ask you about in LeBron James, where, yes, you know, at the age, there are players who have played up to 38, yes. But with the numbers in production, uh, there aren't. So, I, I mean, I, I mean, maybe Carl Malone, uh, as somebody who, like, put up those numbers. And even Carl Malone wasn't putting up the type of numbers that LeBron is putting up in points, rebounds, and assists. Um, in his age 38th year, but also year 21. So I ask you, like, what are some players that you find interesting for whatever reason when you put together a similarity score? Yeah, like, I mean, LeBron has just always been kind of like a, a tough guy to project because even mm-hmm. when he was in his prime, where they're just like, yeah, I mean, in terms like his listed body type, like it go, it, it's been around like, yeah, like earliest years, it was it started out six eight two forty. Then it moved. Then in those, you know, in in his years in Miami, his, you know, he was a little bit bigger, so like it came up to sixty two. And so in terms of just somebody with that body type and his like skill level, it's just there's just there are just not a lot of guys that put up. And you know, and the fact that you know LeBron has been so productive for his entire career, there's just 
not many, you know, he's an outlier in general. So if you're kind of comparing an outlier to other sort of people that are kind of closer to normal on the bell curve, you're just not going to, it's going to be hard to find people similar. So, and then now if you'll even look in kind of at the, kind of how, you know, the changes in the game where, you know, where, where, you know, we're encouraging everyone to shoot threes. So then, you know, you're looking at, you know, guys like Towns, you know, you know, yeah, all the, all these, like, you know, all these stretch bigs around the league, they're just, again, there's not that many, you know, even like someone like Laurie Markinen, where you just don't have a lot of seven footers that have shot threes at the same volume as the guys that are now. So sometimes there's going to be a little bit of trying to figure out what comps. Yeah. The system kind of coming in, it just, it largely kind of, uses kind of, it, it just uses you know a formula to sort of figure out these these similar find similar players and so if you're going to have guys who are a little bit different even Giannis is kind of in there where you know again his trajectory and his kind of his you know skill set because we're also you know guy you know bigger you know like guys who would normally have been interior players back you know in the eighties, nineties, and even the early two thousands are handling the ball and handling, you know, they're handling the ball and doing, they, they, they have more perimeter different, skills. Yeah. More perimeter skills. And so there are different, they're just different skill profiles that the system has to try to sort of reconcile. And so there are, so it is kind of, you know, there are kind of, inter- yeah, a lot of it comes down to just, you know, people rare, rare skill rare production kind of levels where i mean even even seth even steph is just you know like there's just not there's just not anyone that's shot this well and has been this like and even at that size has been it was you know just putting up elite numbers like this because again like point guards back in the day were more table setting kind of Mm -hmm. type of guys so Score first, kind of, really. Yeah, so yeah, you, you even get guys like that, but then there are just guys, you know, unusual body types also come in where like, you know, even someone like, you know, Pokashevsky from Oklahoma City, where you have, you know, he's seven foot and he's under two hundred, and so you get, you know, you, you know, trying to figure out, you know, set you know, what to do with a seven foot guy in his early twenties with, you know, <laughs> kind of that's you know that skill set and body type is going to be kind of difficult so yeah anytime you kind of find people with people that you know are kind of unique and you know kind of different than kind of what what is kind of the norm it's always kind of interesting to see what that system is going to what they're gonna what they're gonna do because they're just you yeah. know sometimes there's just not a lot of other you know historical precedents to kind of base this on so Oh yeah, no, that makes complete sense. Like it's different. I I want to ask you. Speaking of that, how hard was it for uh, Victor Wembanyama? Yeah, I mean it's going to be interesting. Yeah, because now yeah we're entering Once he gets into a sample just, size, right? Yeah, I mean because we're entering into like rare skills, and he's also in just the like upper whatever it is, the upper fraction of one percent of players in terms of height. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, I mean, just I'm finding yeah because Ralph Sampson. Yeah, I mean, we might be talking, yeah, like projecting about Ralph, Sam- 
you know, like Ralph Sampson, probably a lot of Kristaps Porzingis. Yeah, you know, oh, that's talking, the other one. Yeah, yeah. Where, yeah, I mean, depending on where Wembenyama is listed, it's you know, if he's listed anywhere from seven three to seven five, so if he's, seven, if he's closer to yeah. Oh, I think we paused there for a sec, but can Hello? you hear me? Yeah, can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. Okay, good. We're yeah. back. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So no, that definitely that could yeah, definitely okay. be yeah. That could be interesting. That could be interesting. That's for sure. Yeah. So I mean, Porzingis probably is probably going to show up on a lot of these lists just because you know they're because at least when you know Porzingis came to the league, he was a little bit on the skinnier side. Mm-hmm. And so yeah, and then. Yeah, so that's going to be another one where you're just going to, yeah, even if, even, yeah, even if like at his highest level of, and also you're going to, yeah, if you're projecting sort of, if he ends up becoming the player he could be, you know, you're talking, you know, these extremely high levels of production on top of just having just kind of one of the more unusual body types we've seen kind of come into the league. So that's just always kind of something interesting to look out for because, yeah, even, you know, in terms of, if we're looking at past super prospects, you know, Zion Williamson is another one of them where there just hasn't been anyone kind of at that sort of with that sort of frame and size kind of come in, you know, produce at a high level and also kind of, you know, play a little bit on the perimeter. So then, yeah. So that list is that list sometimes looks a little kind of unusual unusual in terms of the kinds of players it 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 because oftentimes you know like in just creating these like statistical models it works off you know just you know you match body types before you match skill set and so if you have you know trying to find people at that body type is just going to be kind of it's going to be hard to find matches yeah yeah no for sure for sure well i definitely for one thank you that you take the time to really come out here and, you know, do this labor of love for us, the readers, to really learn about, you know, the upcoming season, the roster changes, how teams are constructed. Um, it's just a really, really invaluable resource uh, from one basketball fan to another. So I want to say thank you for that. And I want to um, have you close out just by telling folks where they can find um, both this book and all your others. I think even from, I still I have all your most of them on back order. Um, and the ones I don't have, I plan on filling the gas because I still think they're really cool books to have. Yeah, you can find them um, on my Amazon author page. Um, yeah, it's um, yeah, you can just kind of look up my name on Amazon and it should pop up. But it's you know, Amazon.com slash author slash RVL hoops. That should take you to the link to everything that I've put out. Also, follow me on I guess it's now called X. You can call it former Twitter app named after the 24th letter of the alphabet. I'm my username is at RVL hoops. And so, yeah, you can find, um, yeah, you can find me there. Um, yeah. For in, for you can pay attention to that for future book releases. Also I do, uh, I have a sub stack called the addendum. Yeah. And that um, you can find that um, just my, yeah, it's um, Richard substack.com and so you could yeah and so occasionally i come in you know with with um blog content you know just share my thoughts you know during the season you know on on various topics so 
that so yeah if you yeah those are the links and yeah if you looking for books and yeah you can find me on find me any in any of those well thank you so much richard for sure we're gonna have you on very soon um as we were talking beforehand we're getting into nba preview season so i'm gonna do division previews i'm also gonna sprinkle in some team specific podcasts with some special guests but rich will be on to tackle the division i definitely look forward to that so we'll be able to hear more from him very soon um also i will have all the descriptions for everything he described in uh the description of this podcast so definitely make sure to check out the addendum um his Substack. check out uh, nba scouting live the blog um i think it's both richard and his brother do as well as all of his books and the written work there so definitely make sure to check that out and you'll be hearing richard here on this pod more we have a lot of plans um coming into the season and things that i think will be fun to do moving forward so Thank you, Richard, again, um, and find him on Twitter at RVLHoops. Um, as for myself, you can find me on Twitter at CorbinNBA, C-O-R-B-A-N-N-B-A. If you are so inclined, I will greatly appreciate it. Um, check me out on Instagram there as well. Don't have a whole lot there right now, but we're planning on getting that figured out. So definitely make sure to check me out there as well. Um, check out Sports Ethos on Twitter at Sports Ethos. Uh, S-P-O-R-T-S-E-T-H-O-S online sportsethos.com. A lot more content than just this show, um, including some other podcasts I'm a part of. So definitely make sure to check that out there. But with that, the wrap-up is over for Richard, for myself. We are Frosty. Y'all stay Frosty. And we will talk to y'all real, real soon. All right, y'all.